0: Welcome to the Media Leader Podcast, I'm Jack Benjamin. At our year ahead event last month, Pearl and Dean's group senior operations and business analyst and member of our Future 100 club, Charlene Williams, pleaded with industry leaders to better listen to younger staffers' focus and care toward diversity, equity, and inclusion. As the conversation around DEI has become splintered in recent months, especially in the US among business and tech leaders, Charlene's message is ever more poignant. And so I'm very grateful to welcome her onto the podcast today to discuss the issue in more detail as our monthly Future 100 member guest. Charlene, welcome. Hi,
1: thank you for having me.
0: And I should say, given that it is award season, I'm also delighted to have you on because we're going to discuss the state of cinema and cinema advertising as we look into 2024 as well. So we'll get to that shortly. Thanks for being here again. First, Charlene, why don't you just tell me, did you get a response to from any industry leaders or anyone else to what you said at the Year Ahead event? We'll get into the details of it later, but I'm curious what yes. the response was.
1: A lot of leaders actually came up to me at the event themselves, and a few of them have said they want to put in lunches with me and talk more. Um, So it was a very good positive response. I'm actually pretty happy that it went really well. It was taken very well.
2: Oh,
0: great. Well, we'll talk about it more in a second. But also joining me today on the podcast is my colleague Sam Tidmarsh, very first time on the podcast. Welcome, welcome. Hi, Jack. (laughs) Uh, Sam, you lead production on all our events at our parent company, Wanted UK. And uh, with Omar and Ella on holiday as of the recording, uh, you're basically an alternate for us. Brilliant. Well, it's good to be here.
2: Well, good to have you, Sam. <laughs> yeah. What What are you working on right now as well? Why don't you let, let everyone know? You know, it's actually my first time working on Connected TV World Summit. Um, wow. This, yeah, it's a really interesting event for us. It's probably one of our only events that doesn't focus entirely on, on advertising. So we talk about TV tech and distribution uh, primarily, but also with a, a big advertising stream on the back of it. So it means I'm talking to speakers who I've, I've never spoken to before. It's um, companies that I didn't know existed and uh, lots of new experts, entirely new for me. So um just getting stuck in enjoying it, though.
0: Yeah, well, I look forward to uh, attending that event uh, very soon. You what, 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 be there. The, what, Yeah, well, I have to be there. I'm, yeah, you I'm obligated to. to be there. What, what, what's the date? <laughs> it's 12th and 13th of March. Very cool. So very soon. Yes. Um, well, it's great to have you on because working in events, obviously as an in-person medium, we'll be talking about cinema, which is a huge high attention in-person medium. So uh, hopefully lots to talk about. But first, Charlene, as I said, I wanted to circle back to your push for better practices on, on DEI. And I wanted to ask you a few more questions. Um, you warned basically of a, a huge talent exodus uh, in the industry. I know our leaders are concerned about this because they, they've told us as much. Um, a recent survey we conducted of future leaders of our Future 100 Club listed diversity and talent retention as the biggest challenges facing the media industry in to twenty four excuse me, 2024, that's not AI, it's not effectiveness, it's not all the other stuff, it's about the people, right? Can you link the two ideas together for us between talent retention and diversity? I think we talk a lot about how they go hand in hand, but I mean, they really do, right?
1: Yeah, I think they do completely. They, they're linked to mainly because you need to have diversity, especially equity, actually. I think you need to have equity in your companies to ensure that people feel that they belong there, they feel like they've got a space there, which will in turn make them stay. Um, and I think the problem at the moment is our industry is using each each word from I as an individual buzzword mm. and focusing only on one bit at a time. And unfortunately they're not getting it completely correct, which means that people aren't feeling that they belong. They're not feeling that they're in a secure place. They're not feeling that, you know, they've got others like them. They're not seeing themselves progressing throughout because diversity is only, for example, focused on the bottom levels and stuff like that. So. At the moment, people are looking at it and going, why am I in this industry? Especially when there are other industries that are smashing it in the DEI space and actually being loud about it. And I think that's nothing thing. Our industry isn't loud about it enough. Like we don't. There are companies that are doing amazing stuff. And as like me and Steve said at the event, we're not here to bash um, the, our industry or attack our senior leaders because we know people are doing good work. But it's not transparent enough for people to see that. And if mm-hmm. your bottom layer is not seeing that, then for them... They're not going to want to stay, and they're not going to feel like they have a place to stay, where they're seeing other places, and they're like, "Oh, that industry is doing amazing. Let me mm. go over there." So they are like jumping ship, and you know, unfortunately, we're losing great talent in this industry because of it.
0: What would you like to see more? Because I think um, something you said, I think it was an interview with Ella that can be found on on a YouTube channel, uh, was that. Basically, there's a lot of big buzzwords that get thrown around, which to me sounds like trying to be loud about it and maybe failing and not necessarily instituting the day-to-day practices that you want to be seeing and then talking about those things. So I guess, what's the solution that you really want to see in the short term and then maybe in the longer term as well?
1: I think if you're going to throw around a buzzword, which isn't the worst thing in the world, but if you are going to throw around the buzzword, make sure you're backing it up and it's seen. I think a lot of people, a lot of companies say, oh, we're very diverse. But their actions don't match their words. Like if you go into their companies, they don't have a diverse teams or they don't have diverse leadership or they're not thinking about it. They don't that's not in their values or even, for example, in advertising, they're not working with brands that reflect that mm. um, or they're not showing that. And I think it's kind of if you're going to put the lip service on, make sure your actions match it. And I think that's kind of what would be great to see. Mm.
0: I know you mentioned as well that you wanted to see more people in top leadership roles that are ethnically diverse. Um, The latest IPA census figures came out after the event at the year had. I don't know if you had a chance to look at those, but basically the ethnicity pay gap actually increased. And a lot of that was because, okay, there are maybe some more diverse hires at the entry level, but we're not seeing those people necessarily rise to the top in C-suite. So, I mean, what was your reaction, I suppose, to to having a look at that?
1: I think wasn't surprised um, just because I think as well from the all-in census, the percentage was really low. I don't know the number of my heart, but I think it was two or 3% or something. It was really low. And I think it's a case of it's unfortunate because we are not seeing, like I don't see a lot of myself in senior leader teams, which for me kind of puts a gap like that's my ceiling. I know where my ceiling is now because I'm not seeing myself any further. And to hire loads of people, hire loads of diverse people at entry level, you're kind of putting a blocker on them as well because they're literally going, "Oh, I'm in, yay!" and then they're not seeing themselves any further up, and it's like, "What?" We kind of need to build those career paths. So I think it's kind of a, it wasn't surprising to see, and I think in, I think I said this to a conversation after the um, event. If when I entered into this industry like seven, eight years ago, I saw this level of like representation at the top, I'd be like, "Oh, okay, it's it's progressing." Mm. In twenty twenty four considering the world that we live in i think it's not progressive at all like it should we should be more representative of the world that we live in which is a very multicultural diverse world and i think our industry considering is like we're the gatekeepers of literally this diverse world that we live in and we want to showcase that to the world mm. the fact that we don't represent that internally means it's kind of a shame mm.
0: sort yeah. of a, 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 a plateau yeah. of how things have progressed basically in the past few years um There's also been uh, a bit of backlash to DEI. This is mostly a US thing, so I hear a lot about, especially from you know friends or family, about the conversation that's going on. Um, I don't know if you've been clued into it at all, but how would you? If is there a concern that there's a backlash happening against DEI practices? Number one, and number two, how do we make sure to avoid that basically and say, look, this is ridiculous.
1: Oh yeah, it's definitely because I think I can't remember. What company I saw, but it was an American company as well, that basically they've cut their budgets for DE&I like, mm. going forward. And I'm kind of like, this is not the time to cut your budgets, especially somewhere in America. Like, they need all the help they can get, but <laughs> that's, that's for another time. Um, but it is worrying that UK could follow trends in that and be like, oh, actually, we want to cut it too. Or, well, we're actually seeing a lot, a lot of them moving their investments away. They're like... Finding another buzzword, for example, at the moment, like sustainability and mental health, are being thrown around a lot more than DEI, and it's kind of like a vote for those are very important, but everything is important. It's finding a way to kind of manage all of it in one. Um, and again, thinking about it rather than just a buzzword, think about interse- intersectionality. Like you're, you can be a diverse person with mental health issues, and your your lack of diversity and equity inclusion in your company could be affecting someone's mental health issues. And if you're not addressing the foundation, then you're not going to solve anything. So it's kind of thinking about it on a wider picture and just investing in your people rather than the buzzword.
0: Mm. And there's a business case for it. I yeah. mean, uh, Jerry D'Angelo said as much at the event, I think that's about as trustworthy of a source you can have for yeah. business going well, right? I think you said, quote, diverse talent equals diverse solutions. They've done the research. Yeah, it there's, works.
1: There's so much research out there. Like there's even like the Black Pound Report that clearly shows mm. that there is money out there for advertisers and the industry to gain from actually being more diverse in their outputs. And it's just, I don't know how much more it needs to be pounded into the industry for them to get the idea.
0: Mm. Well, we will keep doing it, uh, which is the point of this conversation, but, but continuing this conversation, basically. I do want to move us along into the topic of cinema. Of course, you work at Pearl and Dean. It's a topic that we actually haven't covered very much on the podcast, but... It's also a topic that's dear to my heart as a former film minor in college. So I, I do love talking about just film. please
1: don't ask me to do the theme tune because I can do it, but not when I'm asked. Well, I wasn't to going to ask, but now I want to ask. <laughs> Surely you've got to. <laughs> I can't do it on cue. It's really weird. Like I can, I know it, but if you ask me to do the pa 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 I literally will mess up, so I will
0: <laughs> Why don't you just throw it in in the middle of the conversation yeah. whenever you want? Yeah, just- um, <laughs> Before we get into any serious questions I want to ask, Simply, have either of you been to the cinema recently?
2: And if so, what have you seen? And Sam, why don't, why don't you have a go? Yeah, I went to see Willy Wonka, but I thought that was brilliant actually. Um really, really enjoyed that. Um I think for me it was hearing some of the songs that I heard in the original films when I was growing up and having that sense of I don't know, you just it's not a sense you get every day, right? Um that feeling of um, being back in your childhood, seeing the same things. Um, I think it's very easy to forget the fun and the playfulness in, in life. And Willy Wonka definitely brought that back to me over the space of two hours. And I think that's definitely for me, like one of the reasons I go to the cinema. Mm. Um, Love Barbie. I thought that was brilliant. Um, shame it didn't, it, it got snubbed a little bit. A bit. We'll talk about yeah. uh, award season at the <laughs> yeah, end. Yeah. 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 Uh, um, but they, they'll be my fav- two favorites of the
0: year. Yeah. And Charlene, what about you?
1: Um, so I actually went to see a preview of American fiction. <gasps>
0: I'm so jealous. Yes,
1: you should be. It's yeah. amazing. Um, I can see why it was up for five Oscars. Um, obviously we can get that fair. But yeah, American fiction was great. Um, I did see Wonka before Christmas. Um without revealing my age, it's really weird to know that I've watched three different variations <laughs> of Wonka now, which um but that's I think that's my Do they I,
0: get progressively better?
1: Gene Wilder is always gonna be the best. Like I think mm. I don't think that anyone can top that, but I will say Timothy Chalamet has overtaken Johnny Depp but that's also because Johnny Depp really freaked me out as <laughs> So um, But no, it was really good to watch that. And I think cinema, one thing I do love about cinema is kind of what you said, it's the only place you can escape. So for about two hours you escape the world because you can't really have your phone, you can't really talk to anyone else other than who you're with so it's kind of like a nice little escape for it. I think that's why people keep on going back to cinema as well.
0: Mm. You escape the world, but you, at least at the start, don't escape advertising. No, you don't. <laughs> so what are cinema advertisers doing right now to, to sort of leverage the unique experience of, of cinemas? Is there something new that's been developed? I mean, we know there's lots of research that have come out in the past year or two. That probably, I mean, obviously the most attend, high attention environment that you can basically have because you're not supposed to have your phone out and the screen is massive in front of your face. And that's just what you're paying attention to. So I'm curious what advertisers are, are doing to leverage that.
1: Um, well, they're doing quite a few things. Like If I look at Pearl and Dean specifically, um, specifically, we've got stuff like Pearl and Dean premieres, which kind of brings in the audience's opportunity to actually see the cast of the films they're about to watch or they're going to watch. Um, obviously, that's sponsored by Lloyd's Banking. So they've put a lot of investment into that. They're helping us with that, which is great because you're then linking the film with a brand for example especially someone like lloyd's who's like synonymous in this country mm. um one of our greatest um things of 2023 was our ident so that's where you basically get to take over the pa 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 <laughs> and that's as much as i do um with that's your great. own brand um where you're basically putting your brand with a mute uh, with a theme tune that evokes cinema and like the love of cinema because Pell and dean's been around for 70 years last year 71 now mm. um, and that theme tune is <clears throat> that theme tune synonymous with cinema everyone knows it like I remember when I first told people I was joining Pearl and Dean, everyone literally did the theme tune to me so putting your brand with that and leveraging that is really great we also have like lots of in foyer activity <clears throat> like Rimmel for Barbie took over an in foyer activity and did that so they were like showcasing their brand we've recently had a Malibu with Mean Girls where they working with brands too, so sort of showcase um, Malibu were doing a Wednesday, wet pink Wednesdays where you get a Malibu strawberry with every ticket mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So it's kind of different ways of like find, looking at what the film is, looking at what your brand can do and trying different ways to engage it in all the different ways you can in cinema. So that's on screen right at the beginning, or that's in the foyer or just anything around it.
0: Mm-hmm. And Sam, I mean, as someone who works in events, I mean, there's sounds like a lot of overlap in fact, I mean, in terms of the different strategies that people use, because it's just about meeting people in person. I mean have you noticed a uptick in live event interest across media since you know the return of, from the pandemic basically people say at least that they want to go to in-person things they want to go back to the cinema but are we seeing the consumer behavior shift at all
2: oh 100 there's a there's a real excitement to be back um back in events back in live experiences i thought the point charlie was just making about Um, out of home and cinema almost coming together is a really interesting trend and it's actually something we we looked at at one of our events last year the future of brands and it was all about how you bring together different channels and and smash them together and and do new things make more exciting experiences Uh, but I think that's the thing with with events is it's it's about these new um, experience expectations that Um, delegates have on our case or consumers have if they're they're going out to the cinema um, they want to be entertained we're seeing our our events you know maybe in the past you'd look at events from a b2b or b2c perspective b2c you'd be going as a consumer you're going to enjoy the experience maybe b2b is about um, business interaction i actually think the two are coming closer and closer together
0: i reported just the beginning of last year the UK box office for 2023, and we saw a, a continued recovery from before the pandemic. is 8% growth in 2023. Finally, box office rose above 1 billion pounds in the UK. Uh, that was the first, for the first time since uh, 2019, um, but it's still well below pre-pandemic levels, which were more like 1.3, 1.4 billion I'm curious if you think, Charlene, I'll go to you first, box office will ever meet or surpass that pre-pandemic total. Not because, because we're at the point basically where the people that want to go back to the cinema, the habit is starting to form again. But basically during the pandemic, everyone had that habit of streaming everything basically to their home. And some people just still prefer to do that than going to the cinema. I hear people still complaining about phone calls going off in cinemas or people being really like rustling with their popcorn a little bit too loudly and that that can bother some people. I mean, do you think we'll ever surpass sort of what it was before the pandemic?
1: I do, yeah. I think taking 2019 out of it, um, we kind of take it always out because that was Disney's big year. Like Disney came mm. with every film they could at once, whether they had the Marvel, they had Star Trek, you know, they had Toy Story, they had Lion King. So that obviously helped the box office. Um, but I think it definitely will go back because even though there is streaming, the problem, the the great thing about it is streaming platforms are seeing the benefit of going to cinema first and using Barbie, for example, that was, um, push to streaming keeps on getting delayed because of how well it's done in the cinema. Like Mm. there's normally like a window, like for Disney, don't quote me on this, but I think there was, if it doesn't do well in the cinema, you normally get it within 45 days, If it does really well, you get 90, 120 days. Mm. And that's how like they push it for streaming. So you are seeing the minute it goes to cinema, they get a big push and they're like, oh, actually we'll delay the streaming. So we're getting the longer streaming date. So I think that helps. Mm. It also helps with regards to awards. So if you want to be in award season, the um, rule is you have to be a theatrical release for a minimum of five weeks before you can do. And that's pushing people, like pushing streaming giants to actually put their films into cinema. So you've got Napoleon, which was Apple TV, pushed mm. to cinema. You've got Killers of the Foul Moon, which was also Apple TV, pushed to cinema. Um, you've got Mean Girls, which obviously out now, which was supposed to be come out in Paramount Plus. Again, pushed to cinema. And the reason is they are seeing the benefits. Like Netflix did, I think Netflix is the best example of this of a business case because they did it with Matilda. That was supposed to be a Netflix only um, film and they push it cinema and it even delayed how long they each put it on Netflix because it was doing so well in the cinema. And I think as great as streaming is and as great as it is watching in your own home, um, obviously the benefits of it, you can pause it, but you don't get that experience of going to watch a film in cinema. Like I've seen, I've not seen it myself, but I've seen so many people who've said they couldn't imagine watching Napoleon in their room rather than on an IMAX screen. So mm. I think there are some films that are just made for, the cinema and i think you kind of need to watch it there first before you enjoy it on your tv
0: yeah i recently watched dune for the second time so i saw it in theaters when it came out because i needed to do that yeah. i was, you know, just, that is exactly the type of movie to go Has see to in on theaters the screen. and i watched it on the small screen because i was just showing it to my girlfriend and like it was a completely different experience it was still a fantastic film but there are like parts where i remember the theater like shook because the sound design was just like that loud and intentionally it wasn't you know, an unpleasant experience <laughs> um and you totally missed that at home Yeah, you know? and um i was like man i wish I, you know we saw this together in theaters but we'll go see dune too, and i'll ask you uh, in a moment about what what the big films should be on everyone's radar in 2024 but one thing i mean you both mentioned barbie i think oppenheimer's also you can still see it in theaters yeah, you can um which i need to do because i still haven't seen that film um but that was a huge event you know yeah. Barb and Basically, pushed through a huge chunk of that box office that we saw last year. I'm curious because that was such a big event; it became a big marketing event. There was pink everywhere. Do cinemas have to sort of rely on event-based cinema to get butts in seats? Like, what happens to mid-budget films or, you know, American Fiction, for example? I'm really excited to see that film, and I hope lots of people are because it seems really smart. And well, you can you can give us a nice yeah. little review if you want, but. I'm I'm more concerned about those films' uh, success at the box office than I am a big Barbie. Um, and I'm increasingly concerned about Marvel films that aren't doing very well. That maybe used to be more reliable. I mean, w- what would you say to the future of big blockbuster cinema?
1: I definitely think cinema in itself is a cultural event. So I don't know if we definitely need Barbenheimer. Barbenheimer's help, like it was really good. I don't think I honestly don't think it was exp- it was expected to be as big as it was like i think they they planned it like it planned really well like i think christopher nolan hats off to him he literally mastered that release because whether oppenheimer did well or not he literally had an excuse either way right. which was perfect <laughs> like you can play oh okay against barbie but i don't think you need that culturally release. like if we look at 2022 I don't think anyone thought Top Gun was going to do as amazing as it did. Like it came out and it's like, oh, never Top Gun and that smashed it. So I don't think it needs a cultural event. I think sometimes a film can just take off. Like Black Panther, for example, kind of forever was a big cultural event. And in the UK box office wasn't that great. So I think it can go either way. I think mid-budget films, firstly, it relies on the studios and how much promoting they do, really. I think I think also the audience is there. If the audience is there, they're going to go and see it. So... I don't think they suffer. I think sometimes you do get surprises in films that you're like, oh, didn't think that was going to do well. Like Wonka actually wasn't one that we thought would do amazingly well. Mm. And that literally surprised. like the opening weekend was crazy. Um, so I think there is still room. I mean, if a mid-budget film can be still as much of a cultural event. If it's got the right actor in it, if it's got the right promotion, um, even if she's got the right story. So like I think stuff like American fiction, for example, the awards buzz, I think, can effectively bring that on.
0: I suppose just to, not to push back necessarily, but the awards themselves, and I, I do want to talk about them mm. still later, but the awards themselves have seemed to become less important. I don't know, Sam, if you feel this way as well as just like a basic consumer. Like when I was growing up, I really cared about which films were getting awarded, you know, Oscars or Golden Globes. I, I didn't really care about the BAFTAs because... You know, who cares about the As if you live in, in the US, but like, I don't care about that stuff anymore. And I don't, I don't know if like you used to maybe watch
2: award shows that you don't watch anymore. Did you never watch the award shows? No,
0: no, actually. <laughs> well, there you go.
2: You know what? I've never been a, you know, um, a massive film buff. Um, I was always more into music and yeah. I think, you know, for me, um, growing up, um, that experience of going out to live gigs was, um, one of my favorite things. And, um, I think part of that is because you're completely immersed within the music itself and it's actually exactly the same for the cinema you know it's that immersion it's that interaction it's being part of um a community in a way i think you know that actually transcends all the things we're talking about events too it's about being part of this group of people who are all there to do the same kind of thing enjoying the same media whatever it is cinema gigs and having conversations after about it as well catching up with friends talking about what they loved mm-hmm. one of my favorite things to do is come out of the cinema and, and and catch up with um one of my friends and say what we loved about the film and what we disagreed on and what we didn't like mm, yeah it's a good point about the sort of long tail
1: you saying like you like music think mean, music's also like a big part like if we're going to use a film right now saltburn it's very unavoidable for you to not hear murder on the dance floor now yeah and that's a song from Mm. years ago um, but, like, but like it's unavoidable like you can find these moments and i think it's kind of a saltburn on its own would it have been that amazing without that kind of that the smallest bit of the film to not spoil anything has become like the biggest thing or the film that everyone one of the biggest things that everyone's talking about and it's linked to a song so i think it's kind of like you can find like a cultural moment or a cultural part of the film without it being like a barbenheimer it doesn't need mm. to be a barbenheimer mm.
2: and some yeah. of these things are natural right and some some aren't you know what i loved about all the barbie partnerships is they all felt so natural but that was a lot of work coming from their team
1: yeah oh 100 and again using barbie example like obviously you mentioned the oscar snub obviously we would going into the one award i think barbie should win that they are actually up for is the song with Billie Eilish. I think Billie Eilish' song is going to mm. smash it. And if that's not an Oscar winner, I'll be disappointed. <laughs> so it's kind of like that's kind of thing. Like the film, I personally haven't seen Barbie. Um, literally a sin of mine. But I know the song, and I think that song definitely needs to win. And I think for them, like even though everyone's saying it's an Oscar snub, but I think they were awarded for the right things for that film, from what I've been told.
0: Mm-hmm. We've talked a lot about the films that have come out, and salt is another one that I really loved as well. Um. What are the big films, Charlene, that are coming out next year that people should have on their radar as potential big cultural moments or something to look out for? Just because it seems like it might be really high quality.
1: Um, first and foremost, American Fiction. Um, it's literally January when we're recording this, so I'm going to be—I'm literally putting it out there saying that's my film of the year.
0: Wow. Okay. Um,
1: so it's so poetic, and I think especially for me, being someone who's passionate about DNI and stuff like the store, the, some of the themes in that film fit into. The way the black experience is, obviously, it's based in the US, but the black experience in the UK as well, like just where you're not really seen unless you're being stereotypically what society wants. So that's amazing. Um, cannot not mention June 2. Um, if you're not going to see that, I don't know what you're going to see of your life and if you've not seen June 1, please go out and see it. But wait till two weeks before it comes out because it'll be back in the cinema and you need to um, experience it in the cinema. Um, Zendaya is going to have a good year. She's also got the challenges out which is going to be great. Um, looking forward to Christmassy time. You've got Paddington 3, which big deal in this country is a very big deal. I can't lie, I'm not a fan of the marmalade Bear, but <laughs> um, everyone else is. Kids-wise, you've got Migration, which comes out in the February half term. That's a good one. And for those fans of Disney Pixar, Inside Out are bringing out number two. Mm-hmm. Also, anyone who did was a fan of the disney pandemic film should i say like luca soul turning red they're getting their cinema cinema releases which will be great so i think that's kind of a this year's kind of a good considering we have had the actor's strike which was a big worry to everyone Mm -hmm. um actors and writers strike should i say which was a big worry the slate is still looking very good and i think it's a very good year for cinema still and there's some great stuff coming out across the genres
0: i was going to ask about that because uh, not sure when we might feel the effects i mean that was always a year, two years later on that you start to maybe see a slump of like, okay, well, there wasn't enough time to write or produce back then amid the strike. Um, But it's interesting that there's also a bit of a strategy of going back and re-releasing films that didn't get their cinema release, maybe getting a little bit of an extra bump, um, especially, you know, families that just need a movie to go see.
1: Yeah, I think especially for families, like the cinema unfortunately hasn't been the greatest for films coming out for family films over the last, since the pandemic, I don't think we've had that many I think you can't hat your one hand like the family releases. So it's good that we're actually getting that back out. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I'm gonna be honest, I'm most people, most people would agree disagree with me, but I don't think we're gonna see that much of an effect of the strike. I think it was as long even though it was the longest strike they've had, I think it was pretty well done in the sense of there was a lot of stuff in pre-production and post-production as it happened and that will stop, but then they can obviously now get worked on mm. and it gives enough time for other stuff to get written on. And I think at the moment, there's just an, like a mass amount of great talent out there that are creating stuff and doing it in different ways. I think it's just, I don't think we'll see a major, we might see a little dip, but I don't think we'll see a major dip that will cause too much hassle, fingers crossed, because I want everyone at the cinemas. <laughs> more bums in seats means more great news for Fel Dean.
0: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> from an advertising perspective, should advertisers be planning around certain releases as you know sam you mentioned was done with barbie i mean is there an opportunity to do that around something like dune that people are really leaning into
1: oh 100 i think stuff like dune especially with the fact they're re-releasing the first one it's about the brands can easily get in like didn't catch the first one now catch it. like there's different, different ways i think advertisers need to look at the slate that's there and just see where their brown brand aligns and what they can create and i think with cinema ads, one thing I've always loved about cinema ads is you're a, you're forced to watch it because you're in the cinema and you can't really go anywhere. Obviously, have the toilet really, but also (laughs) cinema ads are more creative. Like they're very different to TV ads a lot of the time. And it gives brands and advertisers an opportunity to be, opportunity to be more creative and, you know, kind of be more theatrical with what they're um, putting out there. And I think lean into that because you want people to watch your ads. The, The attention is there. Like we, um, Anna Kremen, who's our research and insight manager at um, Pellandine, did some great um, insight into like how our brains work with regards to what we're seeing and how we react to the ads. And w- the, it literally is there. The research is there. The statistics are there. When you're in a cinema, you are paying attention to the ads. You're literally taking it all in. So the more creative, the more thoughtful and theatrical you can be with those ads, the better for the brands themselves and the advertisers. Um, mm-hmm.
2: I think the ads are normally thirty to 60-second yeah. spots, right? So um, I remember Indeed did an ad where they bought out the entire pre-show, so before um, Nope, it was in hundred theaters across the U.S. They went massive splash for a whole sixteen minute, and they showed their own short film. And I think there's a trend for the ads to seem less like ads, more so than ever before. And it's it's coming back to that point about you know how, how do advertisers show up naturally? and do big partnerships in ways that don't feel like like a partnership or or like an ad um i wonder if we'll see more of that in 2024
1: Mm. yeah that's one thing we like work with our on our partnerships like like um every man obviously is one of the chains that we work with and they're very good with the partnerships and how we work with them like we did one with green and blacks where they linked the chocolate to a cocktail to the film and it's about how do you do stuff like that so how do you make it feel natural so someone was in You're literally advertising to your consumers, but you're not making it feel like an ad to them. So they're Mm. literally getting the chocolate and they're seeing your brand and they're linking it with that film. And I think that's what you like. it needs to be natural. It needs to be a case of how can you immerse your audience within your brand without making them feel like you're throwing it in their face and let them leave thinking, oh, I watched that film. Oh, let me go and get that Coke drink or that like you know chocomel like chocomels i think i've seen that ad on the cinema quite a lot so that's why i literally think of it but like it is how do you leave people with that lasting feeling of your at your brand when they've left the cinema
0: yeah you really have to nail it the stakes are a little bit higher when everyone actually is paying attention and people aren't second screening which is exactly what an advertiser should want they want want the attention but then the ad better be you know good especially because so a lot of people love going to the cinema and right before, you know, seeing all the trailers for like what can they can go to in the next few months. And some you know, the ads usually come before the trailers. So, you know, entertain me while I'm awaiting further entertainment, right? Yeah. Well, I have been hinting that we're going to talk about the awards and I wanted to get to it. BAFTAs are right around the corner. 18th of February. Oscars are the 10th of March. Curious. Charlene, I'll come to you first. Big predictions for the awards season this year. Who's Who's winning? Who's the big loser? Why did Barbie get snubbed?
1: Um, I'm not watching the film, so I can't go to Barbie got snubbed because I think Margot Robbie, would would she really be up there with the actresses that are in the best actress c- category? As lovely as Margot Robbie is, and I'm an old Neighbours fan, so I'm there from the beginning. Um, no, I don't think she deserved, I don't think it was a snub. I don't think mm-hmm. she deserved it of the calibre that Barbie was, of what I've heard anyway. I think American fiction will be a surprise. Um, I think they'll take more than people think they will, which in my opinion, will be great. Um, Oppenheimer is going to clear the board, I think, without a doubt. Um, Do you Yeah, I definitely think they will. Um, my, my big upset, if it doesn't happen, would be if Danielle Brooks does not win um, Best Supporting Act- Actress. Um, she did amazing in Colour Purple um, mm. and she fully deserves that. Billie Eilish, another upset. Billie, if Billie Eilish doesn't win the Best Song, I'll be very upset as well because I think that it just needs to be done. I think... <laughs> It's been... She She won the Emmy, so what's right. the Emmy.
0: The Golden Globe? Golden Globe, that yeah. was
1: it. Um, yeah, so I think she deserves that. Um, BAFTAs-wise, I've not really paid attention to the BAFTAs. I think, yet, I think so it's so a sim- similar slate similar of nominees. Slate. yeah. But yeah, no, yeah. I think, yeah, I think Barbie... Yeah, I think... I actually don't think Ryan Gosling will win for the Barbie one either, so I don't think they really need to worry about that because as great as Ken was... Um, we need Ken. Yeah. Sorry. Seems.
0: <laughs> it seems like um, Robert Downey Jr. has a good shot at best yeah. supporting and I just saw poor things and Mark Ruffalo was I think that was one of the best comedic performances I've seen like in forever. So he maybe has an outside shot. Um, I was gonna mention I thought that film probably I wouldn't be surprised if that between that and Oppenheimer, like all of the sort of technical categories are are one. Um yeah. the costumes and the set design and poor things were absolutely fantastic
2: i still need to go see it actually it's it's something it's fair with my films to watch in 2024 um as is the, the director of parasite he's putting out a new film too. oh is he yeah yep. okay
0: so mickey, that's something to... mickey
2: 17 i think okay oh that's cool
0: yeah. I, i'm a big fan of parasite sam did you have any you know i know you said you're not a film buff but i want your like very cold takes on <laughs> <laughs> what do you think might happen at the awards this year. I
2: have absolutely no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. Um I'd be taking a shot in the dark. Um I think you're actually way more informed to tell us what you think. Um well I
0: actually I so I saw a good number of films this year, but I still haven't seen Barbie or Oppenheimer. Um I haven't seen the color purple. I haven't seen American Fiction yet, of course, because it hasn't been uh, released officially in the UK which this
1: Friday though, guys. Yeah. Every second.
0: Yeah. Well, maybe in the next few weeks, I'll have a, I'll have a look. Um, I will add Anatomy of a Fall. I was really happy to see, get a Best Picture nod, get Best Director nod. Um, it's increasingly occurring that foreign films are more recognized at the Oscars, mm-hmm. um, especially since Parasite won. And I thought that film was absolutely fantastic. I, I mostly care, especially as a writer, as a journalist, about the screenplay awards because if you don't have the script, then you don't have the film at all. Um, and I think it's a really tough category this year between sounds like American fiction is absolutely uh, so clever and smart yeah. and funny. Um, Poor Things was hilarious, uh, really unique dialogue. Um, Anatomy of a Fall was also really tight. So, um, and that's without, I can't say anything about Oppenheimer or Barbara. I can't, mm. don't have no idea. But to adapt a huge biography, uh, which is probably really dry about Oppenheimer himself, into that film is takes a lot of work. So, um, the important thing, obviously, is that things just get celebrated for for a really good year in cinema. Um, yeah,
1: a great year in cinema. So,
0: yeah. Um one final question we like to ask all our guests that come on this show this question and it is what makes you passionate about media and working in media and Sam you've never been on the show so you actually get to answer this question and
2: uh I didn't tell you this beforehand so
0: I'm sure you didn't prepare
2: I feel like I really should have known about this question <laughs> while it's going to come up um, and what makes me passionate about working in media Yeah You know what um when I started out in events um I was working in um, a range of technology shows. Um, So my first ever show was called Blockchain Technology World and um, came in, produced the content, but a ton of brilliant speakers. And um, I was there on the day and something felt a little bit cold to me. It was, um, you know, you imagine the Gardner hype cycle and um, it was very, blockchain was right at its peak. Yeah. Everybody was super interested in it and they were very interested in making money out of it. And and there wasn't there wasn't um I would say a, a really strong London community of business professionals who who could make the most out of it. It was there was a lot of hype, a really broad range of people coming down for various different reasons. Um and I don't know, you didn't feel like you were part of it. Um I think um, I then worked on a few other shows, Cloud Expo Europe, um, Big Data World, these are all really interesting shows. So it was kind of getting more into the realm of what we do in media and advertising. What I'd, what I'd say about this um, industry is the passion about coming down to the events, getting involved um, is unlike any, any of the technology shows that I've been involved in in the past. And I think that's what makes what, why I'm so passionate about um, producing events in this space is the, the people. Um, mm. people who want to make a change, do things a little bit differently, um, show off really cool projects that they're working on. Um, and it's just people who are really nice to talk to every day. That is what makes me get out of bed in the morning. Mm. Charlene?
1: People, obviously, is the big one, and you stole my answer there. Um, but I think, <laughs> secondly, I think it's the creativity and collaboration of this industry. I think, um, as I mentioned to you before, off, off Mike, I'm a little bit of a magpie. If I see a shiny thing, I like go for it. So this industry is the perfect place for me because I can get involved and be creative in so many different mm. areas and collaborate in so many things. And I think media does that. Like as I mentioned before, we're the gatekeepers of people's stories um, and how we represent them to the world. And I think the creative ways that we do that are just amazing. I think that's what keeps me passionate. Like knowing that a great ad could get out there and I may have had the smallest thing to do with it, but I'm like, oh, that ad, yay. And I think <laughs> it's, it's stuff like that. I think it's just, we are, one of the most creative industries and being a creative soul at heart. I think that's just the best thing about it. And that's what keeps me, keeps me going.
0: Mm. Well, that's a fantastic answer. Um, we'll have to leave it there, but thank you both so much for joining me. Uh, really great conversation, wide ranging, but, uh, fantastic in itself thank you for having me cheers chat
1: thank you for listening to the media leader podcast you can find and listen to all our episodes on our website at themedialeader.co.uk or wherever you get your podcasts but just remember please do subscribe to be notified when we release our next episode from all of us at the media leader i'm editor omar Oakes. our executive producer is jack benjamin see you next time